right, okay, take it away. You go into yours. about fear. This is the second element. Like I said, the first one is words. We, we don't even become afraid until we know what it is all about. And so it's first words and then this emotion of fear. And when we're facing any kind of changes that are life-threatening or or a huge change of any kind or a pain, actually those are the two main places of fear is the, uh, the thought of death and the thought of suffering. Those create the greatest fears. And I think that they are what we're facing right now. Fear that can be empowering in normal circumstances can be so overwhelming after a violent change like we've just experienced that instead of being a positive reaction, it actually incapacitates us and disorients us and becomes a real, real strong negative. And so now that we are in the middle of this, actually we have experienced the first death in Manitoba because of COVID-19. And um, we're just, it's it's a moment of fear that was expressed in the media expressed in in every group that I've been talking to and a lot of emotion and it's just been um, it's, it's it incorporates exactly where we're at fear and it's going to come again and again and it is a strong issue and I used to think that there were a lot of elements but and a lot of issues and a lot of fears but but really it is fear is the biggest and fear is the one that underlines. In fact, it underlines anger. So I just want to say that even as we go through all of the other issues, fear is probably one of the biggest ones because it's about survival. And it was Dr. Martins that insisted on this. And I remember struggling with that, saying, no, there's a lot of emotions. But he said, no, the base is always fear. So when you see somebody very angry, it's probably that he's afraid or she's mm-hmm. afraid. So this is the way it works out. Uh, when Candace disappeared, we were very worried about, and she, she disappeared on her way home from school. So the very first thing I did was with our daughter say, okay, you can't ever walk home alone. You can only walk home if you're with a friend or you call me. You can never, ever, ever walk home alone again. Well, guess what? One day I was looking out the living room window and there she came down the street, kicking stones and listening to the birds and just having actually a very glorious moment after school, you know, regrouping, and she looked so happy. When she came through that door, I gave her such a reaming out like you wouldn't believe. And I just didn't stop with a few words. I just destroyed that child with my fear. She was standing there in front of me with her eyes just streaming with tears, and then I realized, oh, my word. She doesn't have to be afraid of anyone else but me. I'm the one that's abusing her now. And that's what fear does. I was so afraid that it just came out in anger. And we can do that with people around us. And just So it's really important to recognize that it's fear, that it isn't about other people. And, that we, and if we don't understand our fear, we will act out in very destructive anger. And irritability, that was another thing that was discussed at, at our Zoom, was the irritability that we feel towards other people when we're in all of this. I have a little, uh, you know, fear is normal. It is part of life. It's always there. And uh, and I've often used a little quote myself. All through my, I, I got it when I was young, and I still you always use it. A coward dies a thousand deaths. Mm. A brave person only once. We're allowed to afraid, uh, be afraid of death, but it's only going to happen once. And so we don't have to be afraid of it now. 
in life. It's been, when it happens, then we will deal with it. The real question that we have is um, um, the fear is, is what are we going to do with our time now? To center in on the moment and say, okay, that's all going to happen in the future. But And when the, when the fearful moment comes, usually there's enough adrenaline and enough clarity to deal with it at the moment. It's the anticipatory fear that is the worst. So fear has the force of water. We can either let it flood us or dam it and create electricity. In fact, we as creatives in, in writing know the power of fear of a deadline. We will actually create deadlines just so that we will get something done. It's the fear of not meeting these deadlines that is huge, powerful, and, and gets our adrenaline juices going in the right way. Creative uses of fear is a way of what God wants us to do. He keeps saying, occupy till I come. Be good, shine, and do everything in the moment and not let fear destroy our spirits because it's going to always be there. And to normalize it. Often, when we get together, we try to deny our fear. No, when we get together, we should say, you know what, I was really afraid. And start at the bottom of the story. And then give it words, say, I was really afraid. So I went, like even this week, I was really, I, I had a meltdown. I really did. All of a sudden, all the stories of the Russian Revolution came to mind, and I had a real meltdown. And I don't want to end because I didn't stop there. I went, and I went to the Bible, and I had a glorious moment with God as God revealed to me his plan for me, saying, you know, this isn't meltdown. This is a shake, shaking of, of the world and of everybody's life. But I'm here with you, and this is a time of growth and opportunity. So I moved. I moved from that dreadful place of fear, and that's where we need to start our stories. I was really afraid. But then this is how I moved into being, feeling safe and healthy and starting to shine again. And in some ways invigorated by all that adrenaline to really attack the challenges of my life. There's a parable in the Bible that really speaks to this moment. It's about the ten virgins. Mm. They're getting ready not for death and the grim reaper. They're getting ready for the wedding celebration. And that's really what it's going to really be all about. We who know God and love God and are partnering already with him are looking forward to the wedding celebration at the end of our lives. But it says that in order to get there and be in there and be prepared, we need to um, have oil in our lamps. I know there's a lot of talk about what this oil is, but to me, the oil is what makes the lamp shine. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, I don't think it matters what the oil is, but I think that there are a lot of verses in the Bible that say we need to be a light. We need to shine to those around us, especially during the dark times like this. This is a real dark time. So there needs to be a lot of lamps that are shining, and the oil is what makes us shine. And I think that's all about retaining that joy of the moment, mm. retaining that journey of going from fear to joy, to finding peace and, and shedding peace abroad, shedding love. You know, this is, this world is a bit, going shopping is mm. a little bit like going into a battle these days mm. and feeling all the irritation around and the, and the tension and then just to be the peace, to be the joy, to be the love, to smile. We might not, have, can, we might not be able to touch each other, 
but we can smile and we can still say those beautiful words that will shed light all over. So it, what I'm talking about in fear is it's big and it's huge and it's a force. And if we don't deal with it, we will wake up in the night with anxiety attacks. We will we feel the force all over the place. It is an amazing force. And it was just the, I was astounded. I was astounded how, how huge the force of fear was after our daughter disappeared. But I've also realized the power, the absolute power, and that's where we need to move. We need to live as if we're going to die tomorrow. We need to live as if we're going to live forever, because both are true. Mm -hmm. I give it back to you. Mm. Well, thank you. Oh, it's... Uh, yeah. I think that um, we're going to... No. We're, see we're seeing people reacting. So I'm saying, no fear in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. We have been created to create. Mm. Thank you, Ron. Yes. Mm. And all these kind of beautiful, thank you. And, and, and hearts are coming and, and explosion, little explosions of people supporting us. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, let's say a prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for... Uh, what you're saying to the church right now and uh, about our fear. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to open our hearts to understand how fear works and how fear was designed by you and how, um, and how it is supposed to operate in us. Lord, I pray that you would give us each wisdom as we understand it in a deeper and deeper way right now. We've experienced fear before, but many people are experiencing it in new ways. So, Lord, open up our hearts to understand it. And, Lord, I pray that you'd speak through me as you spoke through Wilma about uh, about this even more. Okay. Well, um, I deal with fear quite a bit. Uh, we, obviously, as a psychologist, one of the primary things that people come in with is fear. Uh, fear and depression, which can often be related. And one of the first things that I... And I look at or think about when somebody comes in and they are talking about fear is I ask myself, and sometimes I even ask them, uh, usually not, but sometimes I do, I ask, is this fear logical or is it illogical? Um, that's how I phrase it to myself. And sometimes the fear is logical and sometimes it's not. And my general policy is that I don't treat logical fear. I don't try to reduce logical fear, at least not most of the time. Um, people will come in and they will um, have illogical fears. We're more like aware of those because we think about them more, we talk about them more, we think... Uh, we normally don't talk about logical fears because we just know that they're okay. But sometimes people will come in and their fear is so big that they, uh, even though it's logical, they want to get rid of it. I'll give you an example. Uh, I had, I've had uh, clients who come in with uh, maybe a stalker or something like that, and they're terribly afraid. And the stalking is ongoing. Uh, they're not, it's not over. Um, and unfortunately, it's difficult to stop stalkers. It's a challenging one for the police. They usually do get there eventually, but uh, it's something that can be difficult to stop. And uh, so when people come in with that problem, they're sometimes asking me, Cyrus, can you please reduce this fear of, of the stalker? And it's like, well, is this person dangerous? And yes, and they give me multiple examples of how they're dangerous. They've been dangerous in the past. They've shown dangerous signs now. And, um, 
And uh, so maybe the level of fear is out of proportion, but sometimes that fear is just kind of makes sense. They're supposed to feel fear in order to protect themselves and protect their families um, and, uh, and maybe take even radical action uh, in order to protect themselves um, by going to different places or doing different things or calling the police or doing things like that in order to, to stop it. And so I'm hesitant about reducing that fear. I have people who come in and in a similar way, they uh, maybe are first responders and they have, we're so specialized in our communities. People will do one thing, right? Like we're not generalists anymore. So they're like, I'm a firefighter. I'm a nurse. I'm a medical examiner. I do this one thing and I deal with people who have died. And, and that's what I do all day, every day. It's not general. Like I don't do multiple things. I do this one thing. And uh, they come in and they are struggling with this. And they say, Laura, uh, they say, Cyrus, help me to not be affected by this anymore. And they might not have any supports in their community. And we could maybe help them a bit. But uh, sometimes what I say to them is, you're dealing with something that does change a person over time. Uh, I mean, just because society has designed a job in a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that this is not going to affect you or that it's good for your mental health in a general way. Humans weren't necessarily meant to spend all day, every day, looking at traumatic scenes, examining traumatic situations. And eventually people who work in those professions will change in their personalities or the way that they uh, cope with things because of that, sometimes in unhealthy ways. So my willingness to help somebody, I, I kind of warn them. I'm like, look, we can maybe help you do this job, but you're going to change your personality over time because of it. Okay, so there are times when fear is logical, when fear kind of makes sense, when our makes sense with our body, uh, makes sense with our minds, makes sense with our situation, and sometimes it's illogical. And the world's definition about what's logical and illogical about fear is different than somebody who's in the faith. Uh, so what I want to talk today about is in the faith, what is logical fear and what is illogical fear mm -hmm. for a Christian? Because it's different. Uh, it's very different for us. I'll give you an example. Um, I'll give you an example here. Matthew ten twenty eight. It says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. So, we are supposed to be afraid, but we're afraid of something different. We're not afraid of death per se. We're afraid of spiritual death. We're afraid of spiritual destruction. So, um... That's just a hint from Jesus kind of saying, okay, you know, we have to be afraid, uh, but we have to be afraid of the right things. Um, we have to have things in the right order. Oh, speaking of order. Hmm. Talking about my rush this morning. My notes here. Oh, they're double-sided. <laughs> <laughs> that is too funny. You look like you're in a panic. No, no, no panic. I'm very, I'm very calm on camera. I can, I can manage. Where's my? Watch out! Are you afraid? Am I afraid? Oh, there we go. Ah, there we go. This technology is also very intimidating. Did you know that there's a big fear going on right here? Sorry. Okay, I'm gonna get there. There we go. I'm going to make sure it's all right, right now, so that I don't have to do this again after. They're laughing with us. It's all good. Everybody's very kind. You know, I'm not talking to people who are against me. I'm talking to people who love me. And, yes, they love and, you. And, and want, want good things for me. Is this, is this my fear? Actually, this isn't my fear. But there, I do have fears. And do you? I do. Well, <laughs> let's all be respectful of Cyrus's fears. No. Okay. Well, where was I? 
illogical and logical. Uh, oh, before I actually, this is why I have notes. Before I keep going, I wanted to talk about uh, disordered fear versus regular fear. Now, some people uh, have disordered fear. And uh, disordered fear, I kind of put into another category. Like we can have problems with the way we live our lives, problems with our body, problems with the way that we use our body, but sometimes then our bodies become disordered. Like we have a problem with that organ, with that part of our body or things like that. And that, that could be the same for our brain. And so uh, sometimes people have put fear in the wrong place spiritually, or they, they think about it wrong, they have wrong perceptions about fear, and that can influence the way that they're afraid. And so your level of fear can be an indicator of your spiritual health. And I'm going to get into that. Sometimes that goes on for a long time and then it can become disordered. Sometimes we're born with like a problem around our ability to experience fear, like it's over overactive. Um, so what I want to say is that sometimes when we're dealing with fear, it's not an indicator of spiritual health. Sometimes it's an indication of, uh, of a problem, like a brain problem and a brain illness in a way. And where your levels of fear are disordered, they aren't consistent with, um, with anything in your life. You just get afraid. Like sometimes I'll say, uh, you know, people who experience panic, they normally don't really realize that they're experiencing panic because they were ch being chased by a bear. Like I don't really talk about my panic when I'm being chased by a bear. I just talk about the bear um, and how scary that was. But that's a panic attack when you're running from a bear, you're breathing hard, your heart's racing. And then I say, but it's different than ex experiencing panic in a grocery store uh, because that's not, well, I guess that's different now. Maybe having a panic attack in a grocery store maybe makes more sense than it used to. But um, in the, I'll have to change my example. Anyway, so if you have like a, a panic attack somewhere, the ocean. like the ocean, thank you, Natasha. If you have a panic attack by the ocean, then that, you know, maybe doesn't make sense. And that's uh, a sign that your your brain has kind of just gotten to a place where it's not functioning well around fear, either maybe genetically or because you've been experiencing fear wrongly for a long period of time. And now it's just out of order because your brain isn't functioning the way it was meant to. So I just wanted to say that at the beginning, because I think I'm going to be talking about fear as an indicator of your spiritual health. And I want to acknowledge and say that there are times when we have fear and it's not a sign of, of any kind of spiritual reality or, or wrong perceptions or wrong living. It's just a problem because um, it's, it's a problem in, in your brain and there's other things to do about that. And I'm not going to be talking about that more, but I just wanted to put that at the beginning. Okay. So the next thing is to talk about, um, it is, it is complicated in the Bible to talk about fear. And I think we should talk about fear because in generally in, in the church, we say we're not supposed to experience fear. And I think that that's true in a certain sense. And the Bible certainly commands us not to experience fear, but it also commands us to experience fear as well. And so it's a complicated topic. And if we simplify it too much, it creates confusion and it can make people feel really guilty uh, for experiencing some potentially appropriate fears. So uh, it's complicated. I'll give you just an example from two scriptures. Proverbs 9.10, this is really like a, a well-known scripture. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One um, is insight. So, I mean, when you, he's commanding us to be afraid of the, uh, to have a fear of the Lord. Uh, but then on the other hand, very, very, dramatically it says in revelation 21 verse 8 but for the cowardly the faithless the detestable as for murderers the sexually immoral immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars their portion will be the lake of a lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death so um when it's talking there it's talking about kind of this horrible punishment for people who have uh who are cowards who are, have that kind of fear and so it's also very scary on the other side to experience fear uh and so uh, I, I don't want to 
I don't want to minimize at all the importance of, uh, of fear because it's very important, but it's important for us to be accurate with it so that we can know when it's a, a sign that we're going down a wrong path and when it's a sign that we're actually on the right path. Um, so it's not always, uh, it's not always clear. And I already talked about how sometimes it's logical, sometimes it's not logical. Now, I think the next question that I have that comes to me is, why is God so interested in fear? Why would he put such an emphasis on fear? Um, and I think this is particularly the type of fear that's important right now, that's important for people right now. And that is, fear is a sign of relationship and attachment. So I think the degree to which God is interested in relationship is the degree to which he's interested in our fear. Um, and we know that relationship and, and love is so important to God. And so in that way, fear is so important to him. I don't think fear is so important to him in the sense like, I really want fear. Uh, I don't think it's that. I think it's more like, I'm really interested in your fear because it's an indication of who you are. And it's an indication of how you see things. And it's an indication of your relationships and love. And so... It becomes, a, it becomes this other side of the coin where it's like, well, of course he's so interested in love. That makes so much sense to me. So then, of course, it makes sense that he's interested in our fear and how our fear looks and where our fear is and uh, how our fear is expressed. So fear is so important to God, but it's not that he's looking for us to be afraid. It's just a sign of our relationships. And it's like, watch your fear because you need to watch your love. And as you watch your love... You may think you're more in love or you're in love with certain things, but your fear will tell you a little bit about what you're feeling in terms of your relationships and what you're really attached to. So I wanted to make that clear because I think we can kind of feel like God's being an ogre, like being mean or something, like he wants fear or something like that. He wants relationship and fear is part of that. Um, Matthew 22 verse 36 says, Teacher, which is the greatest... Um, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend the law and the prophets. This is like that central scripture that's so basic to everything and we need to be aware of it. And I know most of you know that scripture, but I wanted to say it because it's really a basis for understanding fear as well. Because when we understand love, then we can really understand fear. And all the other scriptures in the Bible, in my mind, start to make a lot more sense when we think about it in terms of love. Um, because there's so many different scriptures about fear and it's like, well, what are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? If you understand love, then all of a sudden all the fear scriptures start to line up. So who do you love? I think is the big question. What are you afraid to lose? Uh, what are you afraid of losing in your life? What produces fear when you have a loss? Uh, and that's the central question for today and for this hour in our city, in our country. What are you afraid to lose? And I think it's really important. Um, Eastern philosophers were very aware of how much fear love can cause. And in their Four Noble Laws for Buddhism, they say... Basically, the four laws kind of sum up this way. They say that suffering comes from desires and attachments. And they teach basically to give up desires. And because they want to get rid of suffering. And Jesus doesn't really talk about getting rid of suffering. He talks about taking up your cross. And what's the cross? 
this attachment. Uh, it's an attachment to people and it's attachment to God. And if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be attached to things and you're going to have suffering because of it. Because fear is connected with attachment. It's, uh, pain is connected with desire. Pain is connected with love. If you're going to love, you're going to have pain. And uh, that's why being in leadership over people, that's why loving people, that's why church leadership kind of burns out so much is because there's pain associated with love and taking care of people. And in some ways, there's less suffering if you just kind of stick to yourself and don't form an attachment with people or even with God, because there's pain in that. And God experiences pain in his attachment with us uh, when that attachment doesn't go well. So connection is suffering and it can really hurt. And the big thing about it, the big thing about uh, the attachment, of course, there's how strong is it? Uh, and we want to develop the strength of our attachment uh, which is so important. But in order to understand fear, I don't w really think it's as important to talk about the strength of the fear um, or the strength of the attachment. In order to understand this, you need to understand the order. Uh, what are you um, attached to first and what are you attached to second? Um, that's more important than understanding the specific strength of a fear or the specific strength of an attachment is, do you have the right priority? Because God says we're supposed to desire him first. And in Psalm 27, 4, it says, one thing I have asked for the Lord, I have asked of the Lord that I, that uh, will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So this is the one thing the, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. We want to desire God. We want to uh, be attached to him. And that's going to cause this fear of the Lord, this fear and trembling and not being a part of his kingdom and not being attached to and not being able to fulfill that attachment. Um, that's the fear that we have and that guides us and is the beginning of wisdom. And again, I'll say, I'll reread that scripture that I read in the beginning. Don't fear the people who will kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So we are supposed to fear this loss of love, this loss of relationship with the Lord. Um, we're supposed to love other people well but it has to be second. We have to love people and fear them. Fear the loss of people second. Does that mean that you don't love them? No, it just means you f you love them and fear the loss of their love second. Otherwise, you're out of order. And that's really hard because we can be really attached to people. We can really love them. And God tells us to love them as much as we possibly can. It just has to be second. So it's not about the amount, it's about the order. And there's lots of examples of this in the Bible. When he says to people... I'll just give you some uh, that I picked out. So he said to the disciples, go and preach, go and preach to the people, uh, go from town to town. And if they don't accept you, if they don't accept me, then move on. Um, I'm your priority. Bringing people to me is your priority, not relationship with them. Move on, dust the feet off, stay attached to me. Don't stay attached to them. Leave them behind. Um, the disciples said, Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed after you. And then he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left a house or a wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So we're supposed to love each other, but it has to come second. And we're supposed to even give each other up for God. If we have to, if we're asked, we're not often asked to choose, um, I run into this with couples a lot when they'll be like, you know, how can he, he loves his family. He's supposed to love me. We're married. 
And it's not about how much you love your family or how much you love your partner, but you're supposed to put your partner first. And you're not often asked to choose, and it's horrible when you're asked to choose. But he wants us actually to love both. He wants us to love people, but he it has to be the priority. He has to be the priority. Otherwise, you're out of you're out of order, like I was saying. When we lose things that we don't feel we can lose, uh, when we don't, we often usually can lose them, but if we feel something that we don't feel we can lose, we experience trauma, and that experience, and then that'll increase our fear. So that's what people are going through right now. They lose something, and they don't, they weren't ready to lose it. They weren't accepting that it can be lost. They saw it as a, as a thing that was stable and couldn't be lost, and it's lost, and so that's felt like a betrayal, and it's a thing that they can't accept, so then they experience this increase in fear and trauma, like they lose trust. They lose trust with the world. They lose trust with God. This was not supposed to happen. It was a non-negotiable. I loved you, but I also love this other thing and I'm not willing to give up the other thing. It's a non-negotiable. So now it's traumatic. They lose trust. And when you lose trust, that's often a sign of trauma. It's a betrayal and they've experienced it that way. And then they experience an increase in their fear. Um, and we can show, I mean, people uh, talk about trauma as being like war or first responders, you know, seeing traumatic things. But I see trauma responses. I might not label it as trauma, but it's a trauma response to all kinds of losses and betrayals. Um, and we could talk about what the trauma response is, but it's all over the place and how people respond to all kinds of losses. And we can be attached to all, like to almost anything we can be attached. I made a list here and I, was, I just kept going with this list. So I'll list it off. I start off with teddy bears. I was maybe thinking of kids. You can get attached to a teddy bear. You can get attached to video games. My son is very attached to video games right now. Yeah. Uh, you can get attached to your car. I remember when I was, I remember we gave away a car. We threw, or we, you know, donated a car, probably to Teen Challenge or something. And um, this was when I was younger. I remember crying. I, I wasn't, I don't think it was a particularly nice car. It was just, it was our family car. And uh, I remember being attached to it. And I remember um, you can get attached to houses. You can cry when you leave a house. People can get very attached to chairs. Where you sit, yeah, it's uh, it's very overwhelming for people to change chairs sometimes. Mugs. People, Natasha's saying that she's attached to certain mugs uh, or books, probably. <laughs> Electronics you can get attached to. You can get attached to plants. Uh, you can get attached to a plant. You can get attached to... I remember my dad... Sorry, Cliff. I remember uh, we had children uh, over at when I was living at, um, with Cliff and Wilma, and uh, this child came over and started ripping the leaves off of a off of our fig tree inside. Uh, it was an indoor fig tree uh, and ornamental, and they were the kid was lip, lip, like pulling these leaves off. And then Cliff walked in, who takes care of the plants in the house, and 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 uh, the dad was kind of like sorry or something. And I, I don't know why, but I have this picture in my head of Cliff on his knees lifting these leaves in his hands. <laughs> And the leaves were falling through his fingers and he was just like in shock and disbelief that this had actually happened. Um, there's a lot of emotion, uh, a lot of emotion over that plant. Gardens, jobs, more obvious, uh, income, savings. People can get very attached to weather. Um, I remember being very attached to moving to BC and then having to give that up for God and, and stay in Winnipeg. Um, that, that was very challenging. I remember at one point I thought I was going to be going on missions to Mongolia, not India. And I remember all of a sudden seeing the map and they were showing the map of all the different countries they were sending everybody to. And we thought we were going to Mongolia. And I saw that it was a satellite map and Mongolia was white and it hit me. I didn't realize Mongolia would be white in a satellite image. Like it was covered with snow. And I remember being like, oh my goodness, 
<laughs> I'm, I'm I'm going to Mongolia, and I remember crying, and, and it was people were worshiping, and I think they might have thought that I was in the spirit, and I was not. <laughs> I was not in the spirit. <laughs> I was crying for it was long term. It was long term. It was supposed to be long term mission. I I was crying for the rest of my life that I would be in the snow. Um, we can get uh, we can get very attached to our looks. We can get attached to how we look, our physical abilities. Uh, we can get attached to talents what we can do we can get attached to our memories this is a big one people have so much trouble giving up their memories when they actually lose their memories that's a little bit easier but when they have to give up sentimental objects uh that's really challenging for people um giving up our memories is, is very challenging but we have to put things in the right order uh get it, giving up their rights to justice uh, our freedoms our the list goes on we can be attached to so many things and i remember uh, talking to somebody uh, who was attached to things so much that they couldn't even throw out an apple core. They had an app, you know, like things in the kitchen. They, they couldn't even throw out garbage. It got to that point. Now, you might not be able to relate to that. That might just be too extreme. And you're like, I can't relate to somebody who can't throw away garbage. Um, but just imagine that you took an apple core that was eaten and all of a sudden it started to look a little bit like, uh, I don't know, like a celebrity uh, or something like that, like maybe Elvis or uh, what's, what would be a newer celebrity? Or the tiny. Yeah, so like maybe just maybe your favorite celebrity. You can maybe imagine that at least that you might get attached to an apple core that was like a celebrity, and you couldn't throw it away, right? And that's kind of what happens for people. They get attached to things that doesn't make sense to anybody else. Maybe you're saying like, "What Elvis? I don't care about Elvis," but somebody does, and you are attached to things that are that make just as little sense as that person who loves that apple core, uh, that piece of garbage. Uh, the reality is that it's okay. To love an apple core that looks like Elvis. Uh, that's the reality. But it's not okay to love it more than God. Um, and the apple core is garbage. And almost everything I've listed here, in fact, we'll look at it. Everything I've listed here, like when we throw out that apple core, let's just imagine that you, instead, of, instead of throwing it in the garbage, you threw it in a fire. It's just garbage. You throw it in the fire. Everything I've listed here gets thrown in a fire at the end of the age. It's all garbage. Um, our looks, our plants, our jobs, our income, our clothing, our physical abilities, our talents, our rights and freedoms, our video games, our cars, our houses, our teddy bears, um, they're garbage compared to what we're going to be getting in the future. And um, scripture says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be um, revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work is that anyone has built on a foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We are, going to, we are going to have a fire that comes that burns up all the things that are garbage around us. And if we're too attached to that stuff, if we put it above the Lord, it's going to be very dangerous for us. Um, we need to be, we can be attached to our things, but we can't be more attached than we are to God. And it's not worth it in the end. Oh, now I've talked a lot of here about how we need to be afraid of the Lord 
how some of our fears are okay, but we need to be more afraid of God than others and more afraid of God than anything else. But I want to also say, because I can end it there because that's like the talk on fear. Uh, and if you're more afraid of other things, that's a problem. But I remember I was on, uh, I was on CGOB on Friday and um, they asked, asked me, who's prepping? Like who is preparing for the end? And they were for the, not for the end, but for this COVID thing. And I, I think they were meaning like hoarding and stuff like that. But the article that I found um, on it was actually who's like preparing, like legitimately preparing. You know how they're saying like get two weeks of stuff and, and get yourself ready, you know? Um, so who was actually preparing and who wasn't for this? And uh, what they found was that the, the people who were getting ready were afraid, which made sense. And that's what I've been talking about. Um, you know, you have this fear because you don't want to lose your life. You don't want to lose your loved ones. You're supposed to be attached to things. You know, just not more attached uh, than to God, but you're supposed to be attached to things. You're supposed to be preparing. But fear wasn't enough. Fear didn't predict whether people would prepare properly. Um, they also had to have hope. So it was interesting. Fear and hope predicted people's preparing. If they had just fear, they would just stay at home and they wouldn't prepare. They would be immobilized, immobilized with fear. And, uh, but if they had fear and hope, then they would go out and then they would prepare for the future because they felt like the future was coming and that they, they would have a future. And, um, and they had fear, which showed, showed that they had an attachment to something. I, I have fear. I don't want to lose this. And I believe that it's going to be over one day. So I'm going to go and prepare. And so, um, if you look at somebody who has fear, but has, uh, less hope, not enough hope, it's the story of the talents, uh, the person who, uh, buried their talent. And uh, he says here, you probably know it's in Matthew 25. If you don't know it, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But this one servant gets talents and the master goes away and he buries the talent rather than investing it because he's afraid and he doesn't have enough hope. And he says, master, I knew you were a hard man. If you're only afraid of the Lord, you're going to see him as a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received that which was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given and he who will and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth uh, so even if you fear the lord in a certain way it doesn't please him he doesn't just want your fear if you have a wrong perspective on who he is if you don't have enough hope you don't have a relationship with a real God. You have a relationship with a certain perception of him. And so we're not just to be afraid of losing God. So if I was to put it all together, it would be, be afraid of God more than anything else. Be afraid of losing him. But then you have to look at him and realize who he is and accept his reassurance on how much he loves you and how much he cares for you and how much mercy he has for you and how much graciousness he has for you. And that should dwarf even that fear. Even that greater fear of him than anything, than losing anything else should be dwarfed by realizing how amazing he is and how much he loves you. And if you have that perspective, even that greater fear of the Lord will be nothing. 
And you will be able to move forward with hope. And you'll be able to move forward in confidence because you know who he is. But if you don't understand who he is, that greater fear will immobilize you into doing nothing with his talents, into doing nothing with, with what he is. You can't be that you can't be that afraid of him without understanding who he is. You have to understand who he is. And then you will be reassured. And even though you're afraid of losing him, you'll be like, but he's my dad. And I can have confidence in my mistakes. I'm going to move forward because I know who he is. And even though I'm terrified to lose him, I know how much he loves me. And, and even that, and that can give you that confidence to move forward. So fear is a loss of things that we're attached to. And that's why I want to focus on that because that's what's happening right now. People are losing what they're attached to. Loss of money, future, certain futures, loss of life is starting. We are losing things that we're attached to. We lose things and that produces a trauma response if we feel like I'm not allowed to lose this thing. I never thought I would lose this thing. We don't want to go into a trauma response. We don't want to hold on to those things too tightly. It's not a betrayal to lose the things that we are attached to. And we're supposed to love the God more than our other attachments and that produces a fear of him which dwarfs our other fears, our fears that we actually are losing. We haven't lost God. We have to have the right order. And... So this fear is actually a diagnostic system. It tells you what you're attached to. And we have to have it, like I said, in the right order. But we aren't supposed to have fear alone. We're supposed to have fear with hope because we understand who God is and how much he loves us. And so even though our fear is great of losing the Lord, maybe overwhelming to lose him, we are even more overwhelmed with how much he loves us and we understand his forgiveness and his mercies that are new every day. And, we, and if we really understand his love for us and how he relates to us, we'll be able to move forward and not be paralyzed. We'll be able to be uh, able to prepare for his coming, like the ten virgins you were talking about, Wilma. We'll be able to prepare for his coming through prayer and intercession and uh, preparing the world for him. Uh, we won't be immobilized. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, your relationship and being so interested in your relationship in every aspect, even the fear of loss of relationship. Thank you for giving us this diagnostic system that helps us to evaluate who we are and what we're attached to. And I pray, Lord, this is such um, an important time. I pray that you would help us to be aware that, that this is an opportunity for each one of us to learn about who we are in your sight, to learn about what we're really afraid of and what we're really attached to. And that is so exciting to know ourselves more. It's scary because then we're just like, oh, I'm, I now know who I am. I know what I'm really afraid of. And I'm not afraid of the Lord. I'm afraid of losing my job. And, and that could be overwhelming. But I want us to just know that, God, you're not surprised. It's not a new thing that we're more afraid to lose our job or our income or our life. It was always there and you're just showing us and that's your mercy it's your mercy to show us what we're really afraid of and what we're really attached to so thank you lord for this time of awareness this time when we can see ourselves and we can see a little bit more of what you see in us that you would open up heaven a little bit to say look this is who you are yes this is who you are and i know it's who you are and i still love you yes but make it right make it right make it right Put me first. Put things in the right order in your life. Put things in the right order. So we're going to move into ministry time. And um, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for all of you. We're going to be praying that uh, the Lord would um, help us to really see who we are in his sight. 
Uh, I know that there was a prophetic word that was given, um, and uh, I really appreciated it. And it was about uh, this being a time of blood and fire, about how there was a, a crimson tide that was coming, or now I guess is really coming. And this was actually, a lot of this was given before this all happened. This time of death, this time of crimson tide, and there was a fire in it. And uh, that this fire was there uh, in order to purify. Uh, and this is what, this is why fire is so important is because when we think about purifying, you can use the analogies of purifying gold and things like that. And, but really what it's doing is it's showing you your fear. It's showing you your relationship. It's showing you what you're attached to. What are you really afraid of? And if you're afraid of the wrong things, you've got a wrong attachment, a wrong order. Yes, Lord. Yeah. And so Lord, we go ahead. Yeah. So Lord, we just ask that you would bring fire on your church. We pray for fire all the time and we think about it as revealing in things for other people of your healing and your presence. But Lord, you are a fire because you reveal things to us because uh, you are a purifier. And, and this is a time of purification for the church, a time of purification for our cities. I pray that you would show us who we are, that you wouldn't hide your judgments from us, not in order to condemn us. Your judgments aren't there to condemn us. They're there to help us, to help us to straighten ourselves, to align ourselves with your word and with your heart. So I pray, Lord, right now that you would give everybody who's listening to this now and who listens to it later, I pray that you would give everybody your prophetic revelation. That we would somehow be able not just to know our fears, but we would know your assessment of our fears. That we would know your judgment over our fears, not in order to condemn, but in order to love us. That pre please, Lord, give us prophetic revelation about our fears. What have we where have we missed it? What have we put above you? What have we feared more than we feared you? I pray right now that revelation would come to each mind, that discernment would come to each mind who's listening to this. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be afraid. I'm saying, Lord, give us a proper fear. I pray that fear would come right now, that fear of you would come in a greater than anything else, that fear of you would be the king fear fear of the loss of our Lord and that that would line us up and be like, Oh Lord, I can't go there. I can't. You are so important. I'm not going to lose you, Lord. I'll cast it all aside for you. I'll cast it all aside for you. You haven't betrayed me with the loss of this job. You haven't betrayed me with the loss of these finances. You haven't betrayed me with the loss of my health. Or the loss of my life. It's not a betrayal. Lord, you are my great reward. You are our prize. Lord, help us not to lose our prize. Help us help this to bring people to you in a greater way. And that that fear even of you, that we Lord, we would now like look at you and see your beauty, see your love and mercy. Thank you for your love in spite of us 
living so long with the wrong fear, living so long being attached to things that don't matter, to things that will be garbage, things that won't, be, won't exist in a few years. Lord, I pray that we would be attached to you. Thank you for your mercy that's new every day 